All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, sitting with me once again, I have Frank Schultz. We uh, He's been in the shop all day, brought over all his critters that he trapped this winter, and we've been spending all day putting him up, kind of running him through the fur hand, the Friel fur handling school. It's been good. <laughs> we got it done. took a while. There was more stuff than I expected to catch this winter, but that's a good thing. Yeah, so. yeah, but uh, yeah, man, it's... Uh, there's all, only, all I only poked a few holes. <laughs> yeah. The farther we got along, the fewer holes there were, so that's good. But I don't know. I tell everybody, yeah, man, to get good at fur handling, you are going to cut some holes. There is. They're pretty lengths. Um, Martin, Fox, they're a lot. The fur is a lot thinner than I'm used to. You know, dealing with sheep or sheep and deer and bears, and they're definitely a lot thicker. You know, their hide is. It's, yeah. You know, not going to poke so much of a hole in them. Um, the first the first one that I did, the first uh, links, I said to Tyler, uh, I'll just tell everybody that I shot it with a 12-gauge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Everybody's got to start from somewhere. But the thing I credit Frank for is he wants to learn, and that's more than can be said for... For some guys, fur handling, it's just a, I don't know, well, calling it an art might be a stretch, but uh, you're going to, you the only, the only way to learn it is to do it and you're going to mess up some stuff along the way. That's almost like anything and it's almost uh, therapeutic. It was good. Nice, good day in the shop, hanging out, telling some stories and skinning out a bunch of animals. I got a good stink going. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just the norm for me now. I mean, I, I put up fur for a, a fur buyer in town, and just that's my that's my zen, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, working on wolves. I mean, I'm not sick of it yet this winter. Here, here in another month or so, I'll be sick of it, but I think I'm up to about 40 now. Do you think that there's going to be a lot of stuff that you're going to get here, before, like closer towards the end, like I got a lot of guys that are out of town? Yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, the airplane guys are getting out pretty hard, and I don't know. It seems like we always, it, it picks up this time of year, and then once you, usually into April, sometimes the guys guys up north or out west will get after them in early April. and Yeah. One, one year got a wad of 26 of them at once in April. That's a lot I was, to so, do. That's, I was sick of them. It's a full plate year. all of a sudden. I think I did almost a hundred that year. I mean, I was flush. Figured I'd be flushing wolves till September, but <laughs> wow, I'm sure you burned right through them. Yeah, I managed to get them done. But uh, anyway, all our talking today um, kind of spurred this on. I'm getting ready to go goat hunting here next week, and uh, I'll figure we do a little little kind of random chit chat on on different gear items. Um, just i don't know some stuff i'm trying out and i'm also setting up this rifle with a scope so we'll talk about some of those cds well the cds style scope that i've really grown fond of and uh yeah we'll just see see where it takes us but uh yeah so i guess to kind of kick her off i'm setting up this rifle to go goat hunting and uh putting on them looking over at it it's a uh loophole two to seven by 33 cds and i don't know man i think the that cds or custom dial system 
turret has been one of the big game changers for me over the years with a lot of the, I mean, I pretty much use them on all my hunting scopes now. Well, the, I, the first time I used them was a couple of years ago, that ram that I shot. Um, it's pretty nice to have a guy throw you a range and you just go click, 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 dial it up and go for it. Yeah. And I guess to, to explain, if you aren't familiar with them, um, I tend to shoot the loopholed ones. Um, I really like their rifle scopes and have been using them for years and... They call it custom, the CDS, Custom Dial System, I believe. Hopefully, I'm not butchering that too bad. But essentially, it's just a customized, you know, wherever you want to call it a target-style turret, but an adjustable turret for your elevation that is matched to the specific bullet and velocity that you're shooting. So you, you got the load you really like or you're going to take hunting you get this turret that the elevation turret is customized to that specific load and the temperature or the average you give them an average temperature going to be shooting at an elevation so they they take all this all these factors into consideration and burn this turret and you know ideally you go out there you're hunting and you give rate, them temperature as well yeah give them average temperature cuz that does make a difference so you'd have to have if you were like really anal about it and you were going to use one one rifle for sheep hunting and one for maybe a winter moose hunt or something like that you would want to have two different yeah systems or yeah and that a lot of times that only really starts making a big difference the farther you get out and that also depends on the powder you're shooting and a few other factors i mean i'm no ballistic scientist but uh, some powder, some technical for me. <laughs> way beyond. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna shoot that. <laughs> but and I mean, I've done it and seen like some powders. The temperature, cold temperatures or super hot temperatures, dramatically can affect Changes your elevation. That, yeah. So anyway, they take all these factors and burn this turret, and say you like last year range this sheep at 465, dial her up to. The yardage and they're the these the loophole turrets anywhere marked in yardage, so you dial them right up to that yardage and your elevation is set. And uh, I don't know the biggest thing I I like about them is there's no guessing or holdover. I really like myself being able to just dial in and being an old service rifle shooter where there's no holdover. You just dial up to your dial up to the elevation you want and hold hold the have the same hold well for me the first two rams that i shot the first one was 390 and i knew i'd shot the rifle to 500 or something like that and i knew i had inside because i shoot loophole stuff as well and i'm big fan of their their rifle scopes and i have the little aluma flip caps on all my scopes and I have it comes with a little round sticker, and it gives you yardage, and you write down. So when you flip it up, it's like right there, right in your face, kind yeah. of thing. Um, which I really like that a lot. That's mm-hmm. really nice. Um, but I have to judge stuff, whereas I'm using the animal to judge height. Because at 400 yards, it's okay, I got to hold 18 inches high is what it ended up being for me. Yeah, and. 
It's like, oh, where are you going to get 18 inches from at 400 yards? Well, you're going to look at an animal that you know if you're standing right next to it, how big it is, like how thick it is. And the shoulders, bit, well, close yeah. to, yeah. And you're, you, for me anyway, that's what I used to actual, and a couple of years in a row of doing that, before I started, we started taking just one rifle and having this turret on there. Um, I was using the animal at size as a guide for me to how f- high to aim. Yeah. And it worked two rams in a row, just, you know, sending them right in there into the, you know, close to the same holes. But being able to use this turret for sure is. Well, I nice. mean, for me, it takes just one of the variables out of it. I mean, shooting at longer distances, whatever that means to you. There, there's a whole lot of variables entailed in that, you know, your wind, the type of, how solid your rest is, um, just the general conditions, but the elevation is a big factor in, in, you know, being able to hold at the right elevation. Right. Obviously is, is crucial because it doesn't take much. You, you talk about wind, you know, the Ram that I shot a few, two years ago, we thought the wind was blowing one way, and on the other side of the valley, it was blowing, you know, yeah. 180 degree difference. Yeah, and I mean, I gave Frank... That first shot, Tyler, you know, you're like, aim, you know, I don't remember whether it was left or right, but whatever happened, it was the wrong way. Yeah. And after that first shot, I was just immediately, you know, I watched that bullet go sailing in there, and I was like, ooh, I need to go the other way yeah. with that. Well, and, and <clears throat> in the mountains, like, you can only... There's only so what, much you can read with the wind, because it just... Yeah. It, you get pockets of swirls and different stuff um especially when you're on one side of a valley and you know you're shooting to the other side of the valley it can be coming up or like to you or away from you or left to right can change all of it can be different yeah i mean it's only four 360 yards away that was and it was like the wind was totally blowing 180 degrees in the, you know the other, other yeah. opposite direction yeah and i mean it's it's a totally different ball game and, and where i really learned to shoot was was shooting service rifle and it's just a to in the mountains it's totally different than laying down on the 600 yard line at the known distant ra- known distance range yeah but uh yeah frank i mean I was looking through the spotting scope and kind of gave frank a wind call cuz off the mirage i could see it blowing one way and the actual, you know, the the net effect on the bullet was the opposite. Yeah, oh yeah. And he still hit him solid, and we had no issue getting him. But oh no, and I just kept kept shooting. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, it's not down yet. Just throw another one at him. Uh, I, but I, I think it was I recall- easy for me to tell. You know, it's funny when you're like looking. Even the you know, it was a two to seven power. Yeah. At 360 yards, you know immediately you're like, oh, I knew just like that. I was like, that was back too far. Yeah. I think that first shot was probably liver. I mean, we didn't open the thing up and look at it, but, you know, going by what I've seen in the past, I probably got liver with that first shot, and eventually the thing would have went down. But it's like when I shoot at sheep, I want them to go down right, right where they're standing now. Yeah. I don't want no running, no anything. Yeah. And lucky for me, that didn't light out running, and I – you know, put another one in it, which was both lungs. And then, man, that thing's tougher than nails. Seems like it's tougher than nails. I mean, just keep standing there. It's like, starts swaying a little bit and then takes a couple of steps. And it's like, oh, yeah, another one. Well, another you, one. I think, I, yeah, I was like, you're like, should I shoot I him again? To, I was like, go down, go down, go down. And then a couple of seconds go by. And I was like, 
You guys should shoot it again. You're like, yep, I would. Or whatever you said, said. Might as well. Might as well, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah it's uh, – and that's a whole different thing. I mean, because sheep aren't particularly tough. I mean, both, both neither one of the sheep we shot this last year, one shot went more than 10 yards. Exactly. And then, you know, you hear – I've shot moose that you shoot it and the thing falls down as dead one shot. And then you hear about guys, I shot that thing till my rifle was empty. And it's just a matter, like, there's so much that goes into it as far as was that thing running? Was it not? Has it been resting? Did it know you were there? Was this adrenaline going? And there's so much that goes into an animal when you shoot at it. Yeah. And back to the CDS part of it, um, I just found it so nice, and, and like I, I think I mentioned, I mean, pretty much all my hunting rifles, That's I put one of those setups on there. And there's, you know, different different brands have different varieties of them that are essentially all the same, same concept. It's just a pre-calibrated, easily, you know, easily adjusted elevation turret. But being able to take the guesswork out of it, I hate holding over. And if you have, you know, if you have either first focal plane reticle or, you know, you have it cranked all the way up and you have a reticle that you know is calibrated, that's one thing. It's a little better, but I just hate holding over and being able to eliminate that guesswork and just worry more about the other factors, I think is huge. Because there's a lot to think about for sure. And anything that you can take out of that thought process when you're when it comes down to trigger time the better off you are for sure oh yeah you know when even if it's just all in your mind like cuz you know i know when and i the way i've there's been a couple sheep i shot with just a regular duplex and mm-hmm. like uh it's dropping this much and there's just that extra little bit of doubt in your mind yeah whereas like that that ram this last year there was no doubt in my mind he was, and Grant, you know, was able to take into account all the other conditions. There was, we could verify by the fog that was rolling through, there's hardly any wind. And, right. Whereas the day before it was blowing like 40 miles an hour. and Or more. Or more. And I would have never shot any further than I did in a million years. No. Well, and we, and like we had that. a chance to get about the same range that I shot mine, but, you know... Oh, we called it, oh, yeah, called it right off it was something, like, we knew we weren't going to be able to do and ended up getting a 100-yard shot, but... uh, Yeah. But, yeah, they're they're pretty cool on, I guess, I don't know, was the disclaimer to it and running the, the Points North page for Outdoor Life, and I did a kind of an intro, long range shooting series how to you know how to get into it you know more recreational banging steel type stuff last summer and you get see so much of this feedback on like online of people talking down to it whether it's people calling anyone that shoots far shoots an animal farther than they can not a hunter because they're long range and they don't get close enough. Every tr- trad bow hunter out there, yeah, <laughs> is hate, hating on you because <laughs> you're shooting, shooting stuff so far away. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I think that whole deal, um, as awesome as some of these things are, like you have to practice and you have to know that rifle. Yeah, because yeah. it's not just knowing your elevation. There's there's 15 other factors that come into play 
in when you're considering whether or not you should take a shot. You know, I mean, there was several people who I don't know how to put it nicely. Don't did not <laughs> people did not think too highly of my you know shooting my sheep at four sixty five last year for various reasons they you know for various like, reasons that they have no idea about yeah and I'm just like well I wanted to kill him and it was a shot I was as like, confident kind of as things, I could what be what kind of things were said to you oh it's all wool if you you're shooting that far or what if they get into the trees or get out of sight. And hey, yeah, there's no tree that like well, that Rammy or mountain hunting. So that Rammy getting away. Yeah. And, uh, that, no, you know, of course the wind, well, we knew exactly what the wind was doing. Watched it all morning. Um, yeah. And I don't know, everything from that to the, oh, well, hunting's about getting close, you know, like, well, yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes, it's not. I mean, what it boiled down to was that was a sheep I wanted to take, and that was a shot I was, you know, say 100%, but I was as confident as I could. I knew that sheep was done, and he was. One shot didn't go 10 feet. A ram at 460 that you can just, like, quickly say, that's a bruiser. Yeah. That's going to be an awesome ram to take her and every, that, every time. Yeah, and, and it, it if hap- you, especially if you can do it at that distance. Yeah, and it happened so quickly, I guess, the whole scheme of things. I hadn't, We didn't realize at the time that he was the same ram. No. Exactly. The same ram that we'd spent ch- four or five days chasing the year before. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know. You could go both ways because to the, oh, you know, and it was only the second day of the season we'd been hiking busting our balls for like three days mm-hmm. but uh you know and there was there and there was plenty of potential rams but yeah. out of those potential rams that we had seen that was the one that needed to get it yeah for sure that was a bruiser ram without oh a yeah doubt. and you know I've heard from, you know, several, several guys like that. Oh, well, you know, it was only the second day. Didn't you think you could find him again tomorrow? Well, maybe, but. Why wait till tomorrow when you can. When. Why? You do, do it right now. Yeah. Done and, with it. And, at the, and kind of on the same line. Oh, well, why couldn't you get closer? Oh, a real hunter would have gotten closer. Well, what. We could have, I think, easily gotten to 200. 200 to 250 yards, but... Well, we could have dipped onto the other side of that ridge and gotten all the way up there. But... Really uh, close, but... But, nah. uh, you know, you get that. You po- The instant we would have popped our heads up, them things, those... Them things. Those rams would have been on their feet wise instantly. To, yeah, wise to us. And then you're dealing with having to try to set up and set set up on sheep that know you're there and you know they're not going to be sticking around so you have to rush things whereas the shot I took we creeped up and they had no idea we were there and was able to take plenty of time to settle in and I don't think I dry fired on him but you know I took my time settling in and knew you know a totally unalert animal it's had no I idea like, what was happening you will not shoot until I tell you <laughs> the camera is set up and ready don't pull the trigger <laughs> I'll tell you when I'm ready. And I was like, okay, kill him. And you a couple seconds went by and you're like, okay, I'm going to shoot. And that's big for me. You know, when we're trying to film these hunts is like, I always say, 
before I pull the trigger, either I'm going to shoot, so you have a chance to be like, hold on, the camera's not ready. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm like, tell me when you're going to shoot, because I need to make sure that I'm set up and everything's good and so on and so forth. That, to me, is huge. If we're going to document these hunts, it can't be like, oh, the camera was wobbly or this or that or the other thing. There's really no excuse, especially when we're at 460 yards. Yeah, and all the time in the world. excuse for, you know, rams that are laying down. And I bet that that was probably something else you heard. Don't shoot laying down animals. And it's like, when we're below them and you're shooting up, you know, to anybody that wants to, to... say anything about that it's like well watch the video shot the ram stood up and it fell over and it was dead in seconds yeah it was a perfect shot everything went perfect about the whole thing like you were talking about earlier we took into account the wind distance everything about it was pre-calibrated and what you see in the video is a perfectly clean ethical kill Oh, yeah, and I don't think on that one I heard, but I have seen a lot of that floating around the social social, social, social media. Social. <laughs> oh, I, you know, uh, shooting a bedded animal, that's unethical. Who cares? Like, yeah, you know, it, if you can put know. a clean shot on something and it's laying down. Has no idea you're there. I say that's way, you know, what do you want me to like stand up and make him, make him run before I shoot? Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah, that ram, he was dead before he knew what hit him. All these, all these sheep that I've shot have all, for the most part, just fallen over. And I tell you what, the meat is good. Yeah. Yeah. Real good. I don't like, I mean, I've eaten deer that I've shot before that, you know, something went wrong and they've run. You can taste that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know? An animal that's been running for a little while after it's been shot and then shot again, the meat's not as good as it is if you could just knock something over right where you shoot it. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, and we're <laughs> getting into ethics discussion on all this, which is fine. I yeah. mean, it's, it's such a can of worms. I don't know, like, I think people get in their mind like a certain method or they have all this criteria that what of what it takes to be ethical and anything that they don't agree with or don't like, you know, then, then, oh, well, that's unethical. But I don't know, I guess the way I see it is the quickest, like cleanest possible way to kill an animal, especially if they have no idea you're there is ethical. like who cares if they're laying down? Yeah. No, I don't either. Or who cares if it's if it's a you know bull elk that's fighting? Because I've heard that too. You know, I've seen videos where guys are able to get super close to them. Who cares? Yeah, man. If that if if you take that animal and you're happy about it, good on you. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. That's uh. But that's the kind of stuff you can get into. That's like a whole nother podcast. You yeah. Can get into animal shots and where they are and what they happen to be doing when you're gonna when you're gonna make the shot and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. And I've noticed, you know, at least from things you hear, I don't know. People talk a big game about ethics, and not to say they don't. They don't. When hold it boils them. down to the point in time where you're like, okay, shoot it, and they're like, how many guys are gonna be like, what's well, laying down? I yeah. can't shoot right now. Yeah, mm, probably. Especially Nobody I know sheep hunting. Probably a lot of those guys are going to be like, 
uh, what I said earlier. Don't worry about that. I'm yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is just, this, we're, we're just going to keep this between you and me. Right. <laughs> no, uh, I don't have any problem with it. I think, you know, I thought that was, I mean, honestly, the thing stood up, fell over. Yeah. It was dead. As soon as the bullet hit it, it was dead. It just didn't know it for 10, 15 seconds. Yeah. It wasn't even that long. Yeah. If that, exactly. All I remember is I, that one, I, squeezed it off seeing the dirt fly from and i saw i saw this dirt and moss fly up behind it and my first thought was oh shit how did i miss i and then i'm watching this this screen (laughs) on the camera and i'm like wow that was awesome (laughs) because you know recover from the recoil just in time to see this moss and dirt flying up and my first thoughts oh how did i miss and he as soon as like i could see him struggling to get up i knew i'd punched him and I mean, he literally stood up and then fell back over backwards, almost off a cliff. <laughs> it's when they get onto their front knees, and it takes them long to get off their front knees onto their front feet. That like leaning back and forth. You know how they put their they they're folded, and then they yeah. like actually get onto their knees before they get onto their feet. And when they normally get up, it happens fast. But you know right away. It's like instantaneously, you know. Oh, that thing can barely even pick itself up. It's over. Yeah. When you get plenty of, also, I see plenty of uh, shot placement critics that have no idea what they're talking about. I heard a couple times on that one, oh, you, where were they seeing? I hit him too high or too far back. Couldn't have, I mean, he's laying kind of, and they lay kind of on their side. Yeah. And so I hit him right on that hair, where the hair kind of parts, like, on the edge of their belly. Right. On the bottom of the ribs and came out just below the opposite back strap. I mean, just completely center punched him. Oh, yeah, it was and, uh, uh, yeah. The oh, that, that, The one that I shot yeah, and the guys facing almost straight away. Yeah. Not quite straight away, but, you know, I was kind of like, oh, these things could go. It's windy. And it was facing totally straight away, and I wasn't about to play that game. But soon as it took one like turning step, and it was, I would say quartering away, but it was it was more than that. It was but pretty it was, hard, quartering hard. Yeah, but I'm just like, okay, there's the other shoulder on the other side, mm-hmm. and push it all the way through. You know, you just like, it's like you're looking straight through the animal. Like yep. there's nothing there. It's just a clear box, you know, and you you know where all the vitals, where everything and. That thing went 10, 8 yards maybe, something yeah. like that. Had no idea what hit him. Yeah. And that's, I mean, hopefully I can backtrack to get to where I was where going. Was, but, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, bear with us. But uh, he, uh, this may be the rabbit trail episode. Oh, we're on it. <laughs> but uh, he was, and I forgot where I was going with that. Jeez, man, I'm, I'm struggling today. It's but uh, it's a rabbit trail off the rabbit yeah. trail and get going. <laughs> but yeah, he oh the um, the sheep you shot down in Delta a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. There was there was a couple one, one guy in particular. I don't even remember who it was, but I just remember seeing these comments. Oh, shot him way too far. Or he like had a problem with your shot placement. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you look at the pictures. The big blood stains on the side of the thing. Like it's like. Two or three inches apart, both of them right where they needed to be. Yeah. I mean, that ram stood up, 
shot it again. It fell down. It fell over the edge of that bank. And, I mean, literally, it was dead. Yeah. It was probably dead with the first shot. I probably didn't even need to shoot the second time, but I'm definitely a fan of make them down. Put them, yeah. put them off their feet. Well, especially, you know, in like country where that one was. And we didn't have any idea really what was below him. Oh, I was. You know, they was super, super steep stuff. Yeah. And well, I thought once it started going that it was headed. Yeah. Didn't from well, exactly what it looked like from where we were. That thing could have gone for a thousand yards. Like down into, that, down, down into that glacier. Yeah, exactly. But that wasn't the case. It only went 40 feet or something like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that is very true. You know, it's, you don't want to try and anchor these things up. You see, I see it all. I watch tons of YouTube videos of guys shooting, shooting doll sheep and God, you see some of those things just get going. But oh, they yeah. start going and it's like, man, it's amazing that horns don't get broke. I mean, obviously they do, but. I've seen a couple videos. Well, one in particular man. was just a monster ram in just horrendous country. Yeah. And he fell so hard and popped one of his horns off the core. I've seen, I've actually seen that video. Older, like in the yeah. 90s, yeah. early 90s, maybe something like that. But we. That's pretty cool, actually. That yeah. they fa- You know, and then you look at if something like that does happen, what are the chances of finding that? Yeah. You know, when they're flying down the side of a mountain. Yeah. We had one, one time that um, Steve Hollenbeck's brother Gary shot that was, we shoot, we kind of did a, from below stock and shot him up on this hill and he started running. He almost, they, it's like they almost stop. Mm-hmm. And then he just started, I'm like, st- uh, and it, I, I had the, I lost the original footage cause I had it on a hard drive that I dropped or something and could never get anything off there again. But that range picking up speed, picking up speed. Next thing you know, he's going over a 20 foot cliff. Oh <laughs> man. Yeah, and it didn't end up tearing them up too bad or anything. But uh, I mean, rarely do you see when they fall like that. You know, they walk up to it, and it's like, man, I would have expected that thing would would be destroyed. Yeah, after tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. But realistically, a legal ram, the horns are hard, almost near as a yeah. rock. And they're protecting the majority of the face. Well, and I was talking about that with um, Brett Evans on the last episode. Oh, really? And, you know, how goats, goats, ironically, they're a way tougher animal, I think, but their faces are so fragile, they just get bashed up. Right, they got nothing to protect. Yeah. And the skin's yeah. thinner, but uh, hmm. yeah, kind of back on the, the quote-unquote long-range shooting, there, there was one guy that on the... Uh, he would comment on like, cause they, you know, my stuff in points North field and stream and outdoor life would share the stuff over. And, and I kind of like, I don't know. I look at that stuff cause I read it. I find a lot of it interesting. And the same guy would always comment on there. I never shoot anything over 300 yards. I'm like, well, you know, good for you. But then he, you know, some comments he'd get into like, you should never shoot anything over 300 yards. What's his argument? I could never get it out of him. Yeah, and I was like, and, and when I when I get on there, like, no matter what I'm thinking, like uh, sometimes I got to take a stop, breathe, and count to three. Uh-huh. And, like I'm, I'm already pissed off, and and then just kind of. But I was genuinely, I'm like, you know, like, could you please explain? Because uh, like I know, believe Not, me, I know how you feel. And he wouldn't come. 
there's well, no he, no logical reasoning uh, and, behind his and we were in this yards. we were in this comment thread and he and i think the comment that kind of finally spurned me to be like you know what because there was several like the moose i shot this year was at 400 yards one shot bang done yeah and uh and he, you know, oh, you know, a nice moose, but, and he wasn't being a jerk, really, but he's, but I would never take that shot. Oh, okay, good for you. But the one comment you don't, that- You don't know who this person is. No, I don't. And it, it's an older guy, and, and I mean, I get set in my ways, so, but uh, the one comment I think that, that brought this on was he made mention of- shooting however many deer offhand at like 200 to 250 yards and i kind of brought this back to okay I've so i'm i like a, i've I, never made a 250 no, yard no. offhand shot <laughs> so i'm like I'm, I'm trying to understand here how in your mind is it okay to shoot offhand at a deer 250 yards 240 yards yeah. but it's somehow not okay to shoot 301 yards off a bipod or a solid prone rest. Yeah. And he kind of went into a tirade about, well, in the military, he shot out to 300 yards and, and this and that, but he never, like, I could never get an answer. And then I'm like, no, but I'm trying to understand. And all oh, I already told you. And that's kind of how that thread ended. Yeah. It's a, at that point, it's, but there's no chance sense in, chasing yeah stuff like that and, and i wasn't yeah. trying to be a jerk but you know and having shot service rifle part of you know your service rifle i don't know if you, if you aren't familiar with it you're shooting i don't know you could shoot oh three springfields but most of the guys nowadays are shooting ars and when i started was i was shooting an m14 or m1a and you shoot your courses of fire vary a little bit depending on the type of match, but standing at 200 yards mm-hmm. and sitting at 200 yards rapid fire, then rapid fire prone at 300 yards, and then just one at a time, they call it slow fire at 600 yards prone. And uh, and I saw so I shot a lot of offhand at 200 yards, and man, I I if I can ever avoid it, I I don't I can't think of an offhand shot on an animal I've made it. 200 yards or even tried the longest shot that i've ever made offhand was 100 yards but i will have to say it was out of a boat yeah which is a whole nother motors were shut off and everything was it was a fully legit setup but the boat there's ways the boat's rocking yep and man i can't give it nothing but luck to that one that was i was being watched by yeah. by people in the in the boat and I was like, Oh man, I can't choke on this. This is gonna be sucky. And the boat's going, you're trying to judge the waves and brace the rifle and pow, done. Sacaroo. Yeah. <laughs> Shooting out of a boat is a whole nother dynamic because you, you have to shoot offhand. Oh yeah, there's no You rest on the boat, you're host. Yeah. It it just doesn't work and yeah. I don't know, that just reminded me I think it was that trip. Or no, it wasn't that trip. But you were down down at this lodge, you know. You were there guiding other people when I was when that what oh, I'm when talking that happened. about happened. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I remember it seemed like I was always snake bit on silver fox, and I, it may have been that stint when I was down there. 
we shot a pile of fox on the beaches. Oh, you know, yeah. they're in the I eat. still have that picture of all of the otters <laughs> and fox and all of our heads poking out from between all the hides hanging up. And that wasn't even half the ones we killed during that whole time. Oh, no, because that's just the stuff that we got, you know, as as a group, not all the stuff that all the clients had taken. Yeah. And, yeah. But uh, I think that, that stint down there, I didn't miss a single one. Like, I don't know how many fox I shot, but reds and crosses – but I don't know. I like silver fox, and yeah. I got a little too excited. I mi- I didn't miss any other fox. I missed, I think, five silvers. <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh, I I don't even know how many fox out of the boat that I've go up there to collect my bounty and found a little pile of hair. <laughs> no well, fox, no blood, no nothing. And I just like grazes through some hair and knocks it off. And, and even like, how, ah. like, and even, I mean, we're completely off topic again. Wow. But yeah. it, it reminded me of that one, you know, and how much just the press, it was all the pressure I was putting on myself because I'm like, oh, man, it's a silver, <laughs> you know, and then I was hosed. But well, remember. and be like, they're all reds. Don't worry but, about it. But remember that one red fox we were pulling up, and I was like, had my rifles, like, Frank's up. He's shooting. And these fox will come down to the beach at low tide, and and we'd go cruise around and glass them up and, yeah. and go try and get them. And that red fox, I, a years I was shooting back up, and I think, and to toot my own horn, I think you missed him. Well, I recall a time that it was f- my turn. I was up, and I was like, well, the fox isn't going anywhere. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm like, well, the closer I can get, the easier this is going to be. The fox isn't running off. And bang. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm supposed to be the shooter here. Stop shooting. Well, we're going to scare them off. I was like, well, they're not running anywhere. Just <laughs> wait a second. That may have happened. <laughs> it might have happened, huh? But do you remember the one I'm talking about where you missed him first and he just took off at a dead run and I just swung that rifle in front of his nose and touched her off and he hit the dirt? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. Sometimes they just go right down. Running animals are definitely, it's a challenge. It's a which, big, which big challenge. I guess it's be another road well, we run down well, here. And I'll just do a little cul-de-sac here. Um, talk, and there was a couple guys that I've, I've talked to about this, different guys and uh, who have hunted different places in the world and kind of into the ethics thing. Ethics are very regional. Yeah. I think and you know and so many people I think get get so tied down into what they do that everything else is just totally discounted. Yeah. But uh you know in one one example um over in like Germany where they'll they I guess over there from what I'm you know guys that have hunted over there have told me is they think anything over 200 yards is completely immoral. They, like way too they're far. Like shooting almost everything they're shooting at is running. Is though. running exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which you know, I'll take a two hundred yard shot with a good rest over a running shot or a walking shot any yeah. day of the week. Yeah. And uh, and just different weird stuff. Like Nick was telling me, and and he should be. He'll be showing up on the podcast before too long. He's still over in Germany. Uh, so they're shooting at running animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, 
Well, he's gotten to go. He got to go hunt in Spain for a weekend and killed a nice ibex. Nice. And then was in. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything less. Was in went to went to I can't remember the country. One of those like Eastern Bloc countries, and he he got a chamois, I think, and a roe deer or a red no roe deer or red deer. Because I think they have red deer there. Anyway, he was telling me... In red, like red stag? Stag, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he was telling me, whatever it was, you know, one of the guides he was hunting with, like, would not, at least from what I remember him telling me, would not let him take a picture, or would not, like, take a picture. So he was just pulling teeth to get this guy to take a picture of him with this animal. And the guy's like, no, we respect these animals, and blah, blah. And, and Nick's like, we basically shot it out of the truck. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. Well, it's different, you know? Everywhere's different. You got to, you know, I guess you got to respect that. What, you know, if you're there and you're, you know, from here, you, and that's what they think is proper. Yeah. So, uh, but going back, you know, and that goes back to, I don't know, being, whether it's closed-minded or just trying to understand that in different places, things are done differently. Like there's some things we do up here that are totally different than anywhere else. Oh yeah. And, uh, but just like, you know, you grew up in new England hunting whitetails in the woods. Like you probably thought a 300 yard shot was like crazy. It's almost never like, cause where the deer are is in thick, you know, old cut slashes that are growing back up again, all this new growth stuff to eat for them. And that's where you're hunting almost all the time. I, until I, you know, all growing up, I never made any shots over f- like f- 40 yards was, wow, that thing's a long ways away. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just a matter of where you're at. You know, I know people back there that are set up in different areas that they have long distance shots to make long distance 200 yards. Yeah. Um, but for sure to me. I never made any anything over a you know thirty forty yard shot until I came up here to Alaska. Yeah, and then wasn't that first sheep you killed with me? That was the longest shot you'd ever taken at that. Oh yeah, for sure. No, without a doubt. The before that, I, the you know it was one hundred and ten something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but now, in a, in now I'm all wound up on it. Now yeah. I'm like, oh, I need to get everything dialed. It's got to be dialed up to like 500, 600 yards. And it's not like we just, you know, we go down before we go sheep hunting and we are down there shooting a bunch. Yeah. Like getting everything dialed in and making sure that everything is to spec, that nothing is going to go wrong when yeah. when the time actually comes to pull the trigger and it's, you know, go time. Yeah, and as far as, I mean, as just the factor of, of prac, you know, getting off a clean shot and knowing your elevation, like, you have to verify the stuff. And, I, I mean, I shot the rifle the rifle we killed our sheep with out to 600, yeah. verifying it. And, and I was never in a situation up there where I thought, like, I, I wouldn't have probably, I wouldn't have taken a shot that long. But it, it no. I think as we were climbing up, you're like, how far are you? Are you what do you, are you think, comfortable with? And yeah. I, I think I told you 450. Yeah. And he was 465, which, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm fudging a little bit, but no, that's whatever. still was, in that. That's close, yeah, yeah. to what, it, what I actually, yeah. You know, if it had been 500, I, I don't think I would have shot in that circumstance. But, uh, 
I mean, yeah, so I'd been shooting that rifle, I'd been shooting these other rifles, banging steel at 1,000, 12, 1,300 yards, you yeah. know. And, yeah, your elevation is just one factor, and that CDS turret, like, really is a big help. But you, it it's not a shortcut. You do have to put in the work, like, learn how to read and know when you, I say read, you can't really, a lot of times you can't read the wind in the mountains, yeah, but you you got to kind of know your know your realistic limits and hold yourself to them, and I don't know which kind of ties into a few other comments I'd heard on that is, I guess my position where I don't know I don't see myself as that, but I guess it could be be argued that I have some influence, and well you know kind of the this common ar- argument between I've heard it from a few people. Well, you're influencing people, so they see you do this, so they think they can do it, which... I would say that you're throwing out there that, you know, what we just talked about, you're not just picking up a rifle and going out in the mountains and shooting. Yeah. There's a lot of preparation work that everybody should know, that you don't just go out and do what we're doing. There is so much preparation work that goes into... Yeah going on these sheep hunts and shooting distance like that or moose hunts you shot that moose at 400 yards it's not like you just pick up a gun you're like oh i went out and shot some paper at 100 and okay well i can shoot to 400 yeah it's like you actually shoot these distances before you go and you practice at the distance that you feel comfortable with yeah and sometimes i and I think I'd think that argument that I've heard is kind of a sli- I see it as kind of a slippery slope because you could say that about anything. You know, I like hunting with a recurve too. So because I, at least in my mind, the way I look at it, because I hunt with a recurve sometimes, is that my is it on my shoulders when someone who effectively has no business a deer in the ass or an elk in the ass yeah, or, with a recurve bow. Yeah, you know, it, it's the same kind of argument. And the yeah. same thing you hear all the time with long distance. Well, define long range for me. Define a long range hunting shot for me. And you you can't do it because there's so much that goes into it. I think well, what it... teach his own kind of thing. Yeah, and well, and What's that's... What's long distance to you could be, you know, nothing to me or vice versa. What's long distance to, to you know... Yeah, and I think not... that's, that's what it boils down to is it's a very personal thing. And I don't know, you know, some of the stuff... I don't, you know, know your like, rifle, know your bow, know your whatever your means of taking the animal is. I think I said it in the past. Whatever you're using should be an extension of your arm. Mm-hmm. Should be an extension that you know it as good as you know your right or left hand. That is ethical to me. Oh yeah, you know exactly where you're comfortable at. Be it close, be it far, whatever it happens to be, bow, rifle. I don't care if it's a recurve or a longbow or a compound. It should be an extension of your hand. Yeah. and uh, 100%. And, you know, you guys that make that argument, it, you can you can argue it back all the way till, all right, well, I need guess I need to be hunting with a spear, but the the X Under Armour guy kind of ruined that for me. <laughs> oh, what's up, what's up with you that? You didn't see that? No. Oh, that was big news a, a year or two ago. All this guy, long story short, because I'm sure most of you guys know what I'm talking about. 
the guy, I think Under Armour was kind of sponsoring him and his wife. And anyway, went in Alberta and killed a bear, a black bear on bait with a spear on the ground. He was a javelin thrower mm-hmm. and killed this bear. And I don't know, he went kind of, kind of bonkers afterwards, jumping around and stuff. And from what I saw in the video, like, I was like, yeah, it looks like a pretty dang good hit. And they, fa- they kill- found the bear. Yeah. He killed the bear. Yeah. Oh, right but on. there was just a huge backlash and all this. So anyway, well, that's, that's something that's not, I don't know. I'm I'm into this. Like, I think it'd be really cool to take an animal someday with a spear, like chopping a spear out of a out of a stand and taking something. Yeah, I think it'd be amazing. Well, I was and it's not I was so hoping much. to. And when I first heard about the, this whole not what you're talking about, yeah. but like actually spearing animals, I was kind of like, holy shit, these people are like throwing a spear, not like an atlatl. Well, and that's what this, more this like, guy did throw that spear. Oh, really? Because yeah. a lot of the stuff that I've seen or heard about in the past is more like they're heavy, and you're like getting these animals to come in underneath you, and you're more like throwing it down yeah. at them. Yeah. It's like more of a downward, not an outward throw. And a lot of these spears that I see people doing it with are heavy. Yeah. It's like these things are getting. And the, a lot of it's bears, black yeah. bears, and they're getting messed up. They're not don't go very far. They're yeah. dead. Yeah. Um. I think the whole atlatl thing is really cool too, though. I watched some videos. They're on pretty that sweet. Stuff, although I think amazing. they are. I I think they're illegal up here. I think are you, they in you Alaska? Can at least last some of the. I don't know where the videos. I just watched one like a week ago. The guy killed a whitetail, and it was. It's yeah. pretty impressive. I'm pretty sure you can't use atlatls up here. But, uh, yeah, the whole long, it's just a can of worms, long range. Basically, what it boils down to is each person, and I think, in a way, like, the hunter education system has, like, failed us in in that, I don't know, because they'll tell you, you know, all right, this is unethical, this is ethical, you know, like, oh, well, shoot behind the shoulder and some of them do better nowadays about like you mentioned before you knowing where the vitals are kids in a, at a at a broad point though oh like, you I absolutely don't, do. i don't think that you can't say that the the hunter education is is failing us because you got you need to start somewhere there's got to be some other way to word that because yeah and and i think everyone right. needs to start somewhere and, that's, and it's like you need to a lot of times it's kids that are being, you know, that are going to the hunter safety. I've taken hunter safety. My dad used to be a hunter safety teacher. Yeah. And I started taking it when I was like seven or eight years old or something like that. Yeah. To, because he was teaching it, I was like, sure. I just went, took the class, taught it every, took the test every single year. And of course, I've learned a lot since taking that, you know, yeah. and starting hunting. But there has to be a baseline, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you need to start everywhere. Everybody at a at a certain point, and you progress from there. And and you're right. And I think that that's what I was wanting to get to. And that would probably was not the best way to say that that it's failing us. What I'm trying to get to is you know your your basic hunter safety and all this stuff. They do they have to start from. It's a lot like. Granted, I was never in the military, but I've got a lot of friends and family who were and kind of the way they've described a lot of that stuff the training and stuff is you have to account for the lowest common denominator yeah and start from there mm-hmm. and, and so yeah it, it is a lot simpler and you know you, you tell and there's ways you can break it down to say a kid that's brand new to it 
to help them make the best decisions. But you also have to grow. Like so many people, I think, get stuck in some of those things that their grandpa taught them, which not whereas, to say their grandpa whereas was. Whereas somebody's telling you that it's unethical to shoot it to over 200 or 300 yeah, or whatever you know, yards it was. And it's not to say, like, you know, we're <laughs> talking fur skin and earlier. It's similar to, I think, I relate it to how, you know, we get a lot, have over the years gotten a lot of, get a lot of wolves in from the different villages and they skin them, they open it, this is totally unrelated to shooting, but hopefully I can tie it back in. You know, they'll, they'll belly skin these things where they cut them up the belly and they're flat skin basically. So you got a flat, like traditionally like a bear hide would be. Yeah. And not to say that that's not that's the wrong way to do it. You know, <laughs> a little bottle cap hitting the, hitting the concrete, but, uh, slippery fingers, but, uh, you know, the way we like to do them is case or tube skin them and, and put them up for tax derby. And you can, it gets a little more, more tough to deal with when they're flat skin. So we've worked with these guys and what they're dealing with is, out in a lot of those places, the only, you know, they use those wolves traditionally for their roughs. And yeah. so the important part of the hair was that back where, it, and they, you know, they just kind of mangle the feet and stuff. Whereas the market today for wolves, like you want feet and you want everything intact and say, you know, what I'm tying this back into is that's how their grandpa did it. That's what they're taught. Right. Yeah. And it's not to say they're wrong and you don't want to like demean people for doing the way their grandpa taught them not in it it's not necessarily wrong but it's not the full there picture needs to, and there needs to be a progression yeah just like back to the whole hunter safety thing is you're taught a baseline and you progress from there yeah you know and it's yeah the long range stuff it's no you know i mean there's there's a lot of people out there you know they may see me shoot a sheep at 465 but there's a lot of people out there. I mean, the majority, you know, maybe shouldn't shoot past 200. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's, I think there's just as many animals get wounded with a rifle as that is with a I bow. was nervous the first couple of times that I took longer shots, you yeah. know, in the over 100 range after shooting so many animals close, close in. I was like, oh, my, you know. But like that sheep, I we make this happen properly. You know, I want this to go down as it should. Yeah, and and you'll know, see like that first and first and second sheep, for example. Sorry, I'm burping. Um, that first and second sheep, for example, that you shot, and me being right there with you, and like I know you're a good shot, and we're able to like fully assess this situation, right, and the different variables to make a good shot. And that's, I know, what I would like to see people, whether it's archery stuff or rifle stuff, being able to evaluate all the variables in any given situation. Prior to. You know. Shooting. Yeah, prior to shooting to, to determine whether or not you should or shouldn't shoot. Yeah. And I, I think that's. That's 100% of success on, you know, like I was talking with that sheep that I shot this year. I wouldn't have shot any further than where those rims. That's why I sh took that shot that I did with that quartering so far away. Yeah, and that because it was terrible wind. Well, yeah. that's why I took that shot because I was like, if this ram gets any further away, 
because he, he could have started walking and not stopped for a hundred more yards, and I wouldn't have been able to shoot. It would have been over. Yeah, you know, we'd had to regroup, redo a whole another stock, get above again, and move down the ridge line and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, I mean, the shooting now, I'm gonna like everything's gonna change, and I did, and it was good because I made that shot and I, you know. Had practiced and knew what was yeah. going on. Yeah. So. So yeah, we had to just take a pee break. So, well, uh, I think we just finished. We kind of we were off in the weeds on the long range shooting and, and ethics debacle. This whole thing has been off in the weeds the whole <laughs> like time we're out four wheel drive. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like CDS scopes. That w- that's what I will say. I like being able to dial up to the yardage. I know you could have said that and, in ten seconds right off in the beginning. Well, we got to eat up some time here, right? right? <laughs> we got an hour to to go over here. We've been talking all day for like the last eight hours, nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put the headphones on. It's like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little stage fright slash whatever. I don't know. Hey, I don't know. Either. But uh, yeah, a couple other things. I uh, oh, getting ready for this goat hunt. One new thing. I'm not too much of a super gear review guy, but. We were playing around with this. I got a uh, one of these little Benchmade Altitude. I think it's a Benchmade Altitude knife. Kind of a little. I like the sheet that it comes in. I like the, those new sheaths that are. The Kydex. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, for the past, I'm kind of different than a lot of guys on knives. I don't know. And a lot of it goes back to the fur scanning taxidermy prep. I like small knives. Yeah. Like knives that I can have a lot of control over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, both of us have used those those Havlon or the or various types of the replaceable blade knives for I'm quite a, a few years. I'm a big fan of the Havlon knives. Yeah. they. Uh, I don't know, for, especially for backpack hunting, mm-hmm. there's just something to be said for, for having a knife that's lightweight that you can just pop a blade out and i don't know some guys have problems with breaking blades i think you're doing it wrong i've never broken broken a single avalon no. blade not I mean, ever once and even moose i've cut up a couple moose with them yeah and it's all precision like you can take apart an entire moose if without ever breaking, needing a saw if you're breaking the blade you're jamming you're yeah. not do you know you're doing what the knife's not made to do yeah and uh so yeah, I mean, I really like those, and I don't know. Have you seen? Have you seen those Taito knives? Maybe it I don't takes. It's basically though. takes. It's a skeletonite. From what I've seen, they're kind of a skeletonized lightweight handle, mm-hmm. kind of like this. Yeah, similar to this, but they take that scalpel blade. Oh, and, and it's actually rather than like the Havlon, the smaller. It's yeah, it's not a, a folding knife, right? On, which I, guess, I don't know. Yeah. On some of that stuff, I can go here or there. They look pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, but, and then last year I used those, brand, I pretty much for several stuff, I used the, that Browning ceramic blade replaceable. That thing seemed, I was, you took that with us on one of those sheep hunts and that yeah. seemed to work pretty good. I was, I was pretty impressed with that. Yeah. Um, and I mean like ceramic blades have been popular for kitchen knives, but I, I don't know. No one saw hunting knives in them because it's brittle. I've never personally used one. But, uh. You know, they can get them super sharp, and 
I used that Browning one last year, and, and now that they got the replaceable blade, well, if you happen to break a ceramic blade, then you can replace it. Right. And I skinned my grizzly bear, skinned that whole grizzly bear with one blade, and I think I did, I skinned, like, skinned and took apart both of our sheep, each with one blade. Right on. This last year, so those were pretty cool, but... I know that I can debone a whole ram, take all the meat off the bone with one Avalon blade, and probably, you know, I always just get rid of it and get another one to start off fresh, but... Yeah, and we got our own... I could probably do, too. We got, like, a system that we've got worked out that we get into, and... Yeah, I mean, for... definitely expedites the whole whole process. Yeah, I mean, for me and Frank, you know, we'll get a sheep down, and I'll start skinning and caping, and as soon as I knock a quarter off, he's deboning, and I'm continuing to cape and skin and take this thing apart, and then basically we've got it to where... I'm basically skinning the head when you're finishing deboning the meat. And it really, we have refined it down to the point of like, we're both finishing at the exact same time. We both know exactly what the other guy's doing at the same time. Cause it's like, so there'll be sometimes when we get those front shoulders off that I can get them off quick. Yeah. And I can come over and be like, flip or hold on to this and pull on that while you, you know, and like, yeah. Do a little bit of cutting and move stuff around, and yeah, it's really has it. It's worked out really good, for sure. Yeah, and looking at this, we've been goofing with this little Benchmade knife, and uh, I like it. And I I was kind of attracted to it. I first saw it when I was down at shot this year, and uh, I like like smaller lightweight knives. Obviously, if you're carrying it in your backpack, you want it to be lightweight, and this thing's yeah. pretty minimalist. But I think it's a tough knife. I don't ever really do anything with my knives that requires them to be super strong. Right. But on the one hand, they're going to last a lot longer, and and, and uh, it's a, I don't know, it, it's got a lot of, you know, knurling or whatever, notching for your fingers, yeah, both up by the tip. And the tip, I was looking And at I like that, because a lot of ways, I, I when I'm doing fine skin and work, I'm holding the knife almost by the tip, so I can have yeah. really precise control over it. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a sweet knife, and the one drawback and thing that kind of attracted me and a lot of other guys, I think, to the replaceable blade knives is you don't have to carry a sharpener. Yeah. Now, I probably will with this just because I'm kind of anal about keeping a knife just hair-popping sharp. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm stoked to go cut up some goats with this thing. Heck, yeah, should work really good. It should, and they... Uh, Speaking of knives, I'm not a huge fan of the um, they put those gut hooks on knives. I hate gut hooks. Like, I useless. I've never even used one because I'm just like you know I I'm a big fan of like skin's gone. Keep the cavity if you're actually like just taking the guts out of an animal, which we rarely do. Um, you just put your fingertip all the way up to the tip of the knife and you zip them open and you never hit any of the guts or anything like that and you don't have yeah. to have this hook that's getting caught on stuff as far as I'm concerned. But I did find a knife and if anybody out there that's listening around Fairbanks, Alaska has heard of Pete Dunham knives in Salsha or possibly has lost <laughs> a knife. A custom hunting a knife. A custom hunting knife. 
figure out how to get in touch with us. Yeah. Which should be easy to get in touch with Tyler, and he can relay the message to me. But I found a... Which somebody had a custom knife made that I found, and it would be awesome after... This is years at this point in time, but I never had any way to try and figure out how to get it back to somebody. But it's... In mint condition, it looks like it's hardly ever been used. I think yeah, it's found it care, late. Found it laying in, a, laying in a creek bottom. Yeah, yeah. You drove right over it with your four wheeler, <laughs> <laughs> and I looked down and said, "Ooh, look at that!" I yeah. thought it was a piece of antler or something like that at first because I didn't see all of it, but it happened to be a knife, and it happens. It looks like it's a really expensive knife. Yeah. So. So yeah. If you want well, your knife back, you're public service amounts announcement exactly. <laughs> But yeah, and then uh, you were messing with. You haven't seen one of these sharpeners before. I never had no, and I just touched my knife up with the with the ceramics on that real quick. My pocket yeah. knife. And what we're talking about is, uh, I think it's the guided field sharpener. Is that new? Did they just start making that, or is no, that something they've had for see, a while? Like in this one's is is a, a bench made brand, but it's a work sharp sharpener. Work sharp guided field sharpener i think it's called and i mean i've i've gone through a couple of these i've bought well, over the years for, right down to fish hooks yeah and it's it's a pretty sweet thing and i'll probably throw this in the backpack because i have used them a lot and they're great um they have I'm a, not a uh, big, you, they, what's not on there and i'm not a huge fan of is those it's like Oh, the V-notch. The V that you drag your blade through. Those things never really, <laughs> to me, seem to get your blade sharpened to the point of its razor again. Yeah, and I don't know, like a lot of things, my dad got super nerdy about sharpening, like a lot of other things, and then I just take the useful information that I can gather from him. But... Getting a super sharp knife, you're basically working a burr onto the edge, yeah, and then gradually working in those, yeah, those you'll you can get sharp with those V notch sharpeners, but only so sharp, right? You know, this thing, um, and I have like the bench made one, but it's made by Work Sharp, it's the same one Work Sharp has, um, and they have a kind of an angle guide built into them to help you out. If you're sharpening impaired, yeah, like I think that like I twenty degrees sometimes still as yeah. If you're sharpening impaired, like I sometimes still am, it has that guide, and you can. Uh, it has a coarse diamond stone, a fine diamond stone, coarse um, and fine ceramic, and then a strop on it. And I've gotten big into strop and stuff. I mean, you saw me all day with my skin and knives. Yeah, no, everything's really sharp, really nice, and I'm not. I mean, strop sure fine. I'm not a fan of guide. I go by freehand with all my knives, and all my knives are... Okay, Grandpa. They're sharp. Hey, whatever <laughs> it works, man. I have sharp knives, and I, for some reason, I got one of those Lansky systems given to me yeah. years ago, and it's like, what am I going to carry this thing? You know, it's great. It works at home, sharpening whatever yeah. you want to and stuff, and like retruing your bevel, but... It's too much. Takes too long, and I can keep a really good edge on my knife just with by freehanding. Oh well, ma- and just maintenance is huge. Yeah, I mean a lot of times, a lot. Like, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to get a good edge, and but if you keep continue, don't let it get dull. Yeah, if you continually sharpen your knife, 
It only takes a couple of, you know, runs across the stone or a ceramic or whatever you're putting it across to bring it back to true again. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of become a a knife snob. Like, if I can't just, if it, I don't, if I can, can't shave hair off my arm without feeling like it's going to cut me. Yeah. Then it ain't sharp enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, just whether you're you're breaking down stuff, just a super sharp knife is so valuable. Oh yeah, which is you know another reason that those the Havilon type knives have have done so well, and why and I've liked even, them. You can even just have you know the little plastic case that comes with some of those knives, and throw the used blades back in there, bring them home, and touch them back up again once you're once you're back. Yeah, it's not like those blades are. I mean, they're set up to done. Put another one in, use it, but you can sharpen those things back up to bring yeah, back to if you're if not, not better than where they were to start with. Yeah, if you're not just grinding on bone, you know. Yeah, and you don't do because there it's a, it's a super fine edge. Right, and it, you and can it, take nicks out of it for sure. You know, you can you can kind of straighten that thing back out and have it have it shaven in no time. Yeah. But yeah, so long story short, I'm pretty stoked to try this out. It's been a while since I've gone with the fixed blade for, and the one thing I will say gonna, is that you're not going to take anything else. You just take that with you when you go. I may, I'll probably have a Havlon in there for caping, which is what I was leading into. Right on. And the one thing I've found those, those 60 XT blade knives, you know, mm-hmm. I've tried a bunch of different ones and I, I like different things about all of them, but using those scalpel blades are so nice for caping, especially on animal like a sheep. So many people I see just butcher the horns where there's, you see a set of sheep horn, you know, a sheep a skull cape with a bunch of hair. stuck still. Yeah. Not, not, not up to par. Well, no, you're taking you know, a cape that should fit on a 13 or a 14 inch base. And the next thing you know, it's got a 15 inch <laughs> yeah. hole, hole to, to, to marry up to a, yeah, you know, 14 inch you base. Know, and a lot of guys, I'm sure that, you know, even doing the black tails you know i haven't keep mule deer but i'm sure mule deer and elk are the same way where that skin goes up under that you have to roll it that out base. from underneath there yeah and in the early days when just working with you know a fixed blade like regular knife caping a sheep is a chore yeah. and, and that like more than anything like you get look, them tight too some of them are Less than a quarter of an inch between between the horns, yeah. yeah. And you got that strip of skin that you still have to get out of the intact. Come out, yeah. And uh, I still remember the first time I used one. I think it was Steve Hollenbeck actually had just a scalpel handle and some of those knives. It was right before the Havlons got popular. But uh, I remember that was the first sheep I caped with one of those. I'm like, man, this thing is precision this is the money yeah where you can just kind of nice and fur prepping stuff i like a nice flexible blade or any like precision work like that and and those blades you can just kind of bend them under the horn and get all that skin that you need to out but uh regardless like i think this will be a really good knife oh heck yeah and uh great for you and then one guy was brought up uh Another kind of where we're, uh, we went way off topic, but uh, oh, other gear, man, two things I will never go sheep hunting without anymore, trekking poles and crocs. Oh, we're going, to, we're going to touch every base, huh? Yeah. 
Uh, I've always taken tracking poles. I'm a big fan of using tracking poles. I'm an alpine skier from when I was a kid. And um, I think the first year that we went sheep hunting, you didn't have any poles. And I had two. I think I had one. Because the would... first year you didn't. You didn't have any. I had two. And I'll have to look year, back the at the next year pictures. you had one. Maybe, I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I but have I don't to disagree because I think I had one. I had one. Huh. I bring two ski poles with me. And everybody's like, oh, well, what happens when you're going uphill or whatever? You adjust them. It's like you just slide your hand down the pole and grab onto it and keep going. They're adjustable. It's real easy. <laughs> Where you put your hand yeah. on the pole is an easy way Frank to Frank Schultz is it. like the one guy that goes into Beaver Sports to buy ski poles in the summer. <laughs> in the middle of the they were like, what do you want ski poles for? I was like, does it matter? Do you want to sell them to me or not? <laughs> I was like, I, I need a pair of Scots. 50s. <laughs> Get them. And yeah, I'm a huge fan. I end up with a pole bent or something like that from being in a rock pile or whatnot. Almost every year, but I'm a huge fan of a ski pole in each hand to hike with. I think that, it, you know, I don't hardly ever fall over, and they work. It, it makes helps. such a difference. And yeah. all back in the day, and the same thing with gators, but back in the day, especially with, tr- you know, trekking poles, ski poles, whatever, you want to call them i'm like man that is the stupidest thing I, i'm like uh, yeah i i want to look like the guy that's that's walking the ozark trail <laughs> yeah and uh but oh man they and i think it was actually you know because i've turned steve hollenbeck onto some things and he's turned me onto some things and he had one pole and i remember we knocked two sheep down opening day one year and I can't remember if he couldn't fit it or he just wouldn't wouldn't didn't want to carry the whole sheep and his backpack down to our camp and I'm like I I don't want to come back up here. So like he had most of like almost all his meat or whatever and I had both heads and all my meat and stuff and I'm like well I'll carry all this if you let me use your pole. And that changed me. He he would take at that time he'd take one pole and Man, just the difference going, especially going downhill with heavy weight, it just takes so much off your knees and oh, as your stability. And then one year I, after that, I started using one pole every year. And then one year I got two poles and I left one of them on a mountain. I'd climbed up to where I was going to, I thought I, I got, I peeked over a ridge and thought I was going to be able to shoot from there and I couldn't. I dropped my pole on the ground and then ran to the next one. And I never realized I had left my pole there till I was like two miles back down the back down the drainage. And Not I'm like, going well, back at that point, that one's getting donated. Yeah. And then I had two poles and I like collapsible ones that I had stuck in my pack. And then on the way out, I busted the other one. So I finally bought what I think are a pretty nice pair of poles, and I've used them for a couple of years and and. They've been doing good, and so right on. You know, if if you're gonna do do mountain hunting, just even if you think they're the dumbest thing ever, just nut up and get a pair, and get a good pair if you can afford it, because they'll they'll last a lot longer. But uh, 
Um, I, and I'm totally up, so I'm like, get a cheap pair, something that's like 40 bucks, a pair of actual alpine ski poles, because you're going to end up breaking them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I have yet to break these ones, and I'm sure I will someday, but I did go through. There was one that I'd get, I would get the cheap, like, one pole. Yeah. And then I one, I've gone through a I few of shit, them. shit, that's crazy. You can get, like... With a little LED flashlight and the compass in the top. <laughs> oh, I don't like, need that getting stuff. Getting pretty rowdy, you know. Yeah, I don't need I don't need the the Red Rider version <laughs> yeah. of it, but uh, but yeah, I uh, oh, yeah. That, we just spin right into Crocs from here. Yeah, we might as well. We I might mean, as well. I mean, and Crocs are another thing that it's Crocs are big time. You know, they say the best thing or. Why they have holes in them so your dignity can run out the bottom of them. (laughs) That, and there's a a couple. You can your pants with your shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) Not have a problem. And what is it? If you don't like Crocs, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) It's too bad that Outdoor Life didn't want to put that one. Put that one up on their webpage. Yeah, Tyler made an epic video that I I filmed it, and he he did a little commentary. And we, no, took, I filmed it, took, it. I was holding the camera, and you were in the tent, and you had no idea until you heard me say that. And then, oh, that's why it took three times because I was laughing my <laughs> ass off. <laughs> the old Ricky Bobby take oh on the Crocs, God. but I don't know how that all went down, but I know that it was something else. <laughs> yeah, there's I mean as many as many. Croc sayings out there is now it's getting to be the six five creed more, which that's a whole another episode can of worms to get into. Yeah, I, I like it, but uh, I hey I I like six five creed more, and I'm a I'm a Croc fan myself. <laughs> I uh, I wear Crocs at night every every night when I get home to my house. I roll around in Crocs inside. What got me started on Crocs was at the lodge. It was like staple item. Nobody's no shoes inside the lodge or the shop. Once you go upstairs, yep. shoes off, Crocs on, and 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 glassing for bears. You just stroll around in the boat, Crocs glassing in, the boat. in your yeah. Crocs, and then you don't want to wear extra toughs all damn day in a boat. Yeah, get all swamp foot going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, find a bear you want to go after. The boots go on, but so that kind of got me started and. Uh, and then yeah, I can't. I think you brought a pair of sheep hunting first. Yeah, and say what you will about Crocs, but there is something that feels real nice about uh, slipping into a pair of those at the end of a long dang day. Boots you put you got on all day, and it's like the last thing you want to do is when you get a, you know, take a leak or whatever, getting out of the tent to do something. Your boots you don't want to lace them. You're walking around tripping over the laces. They're heavy and. Oh, yeah. Crocs, they don't take up any space, and they're super light. Yeah. Staple item. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, if you, yeah. If so, you're a naysayer, you haven't ever took them on a sheet, taken them on a sheet punt. Right, yeah. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. No, I've heard of guys wearing uh, flip-flops. Bringing a pair of flip flops with them on. I ain't on about. Sheep, sheep I hunts. ain't about that life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you yeah, if you live in Hawaii, they call them slippers. <laughs> They're like flip flops. You must be from the mainland. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Crocs, good, 
good piece of equipment to to have on a sheep hunt. They're like they go hand in hand with the puffy pants and the puffy jacket. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I that's spent many a night glassing in a pair of Crocs and my puffy pants and my puffy jacket. <laughs> it's just like ah, uh, what do we call them? Our, we'll put our, our space, space suits on and get comfortable and start glassing until we can't see anything anymore. And yeah, because I think you had got a set of the puffy pants before I did. Yeah. And then yeah. you're toasty and I was freezing my ass off. Yeah. And figured I got to change this program up a little bit. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's cool. I can feed off each other different, different stuff and see, see what works and see what doesn't work. And everybody, it seems like every year one of us has something and then we're like, oh, I don't know about this. And the other one's like, oh, yeah. Well, this worked and, or that didn't or however yeah. it ends up playing out. But, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, um, setting my ways on stuff that I take with me at this, you know, I'm not big on changing people are like, what do you wear for clothes? And I'm like the same stuff that I wore the first time that I went sheep hunting. Yeah. It worked. I was comfortable and warm stuff dries out quick. And I, I'm like, wow, what did you try this and try that? And I'm like, oh, it's just so, you're so far out. And it's like, oh, I just, the reason I'm here is to harvested sheep what i've been doing in the past is working why change and that's tough with a lot of things on a hunt like that because that's not necessarily the place you want to prove prove your gear prove your gear i mean it's when you've got stuff that you know works and i mean like i'll change and try different stuff and that's like why Frank it's so was hard for me to change stuff up. Yeah, you know, like, and, and you get into stuff like optics and more stuff like that. It gets even more sketchy because items that your entire hunt depends on. Yeah, you no, know, it's sure. it's it's definitely sometimes it's it's a good thing I think to branch out and try some different stuff, but it's also about ba- it's a balance you got to find. I think. Yeah, I would definitely be more apt to try out my new stuff on some kind of a um like four-wheeler caribou or moose hunt or something like that like, where you can bring the backup stuff out and like bring the stuff that i know works as well as some of the new stuff to try out f- yeah for sure yeah it's uh so yeah if you're if you're doubting yourself for i don't know where i would go with that I'm wore out. Me yeah. <laughs> I've been putting long, up fur since long, like seven o'clock this morning. Long, so. long, long day, yeah, for sure. But yeah, get yourself get yourself a set of Crocs. You don't have to tell your friends. No, but I'm gonna tell all your friends. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as bad as wearing a flat brim. Oh boy, we don't even want to get into this whole <laughs> end of things. You know, I'm gonna start shitting on people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That might be a good spot to cut this one off before we say anything we regret. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But no, yeah, I mean, we've been all over the place on this one, so, you know. This definitely is not, no no narrow trail we've run down. No, and uh, not so much, like I said, not so much story time, but uh, talking a little gear. This is more like us just standing around the shop talking rather than. Well, that's somewhere where some of the best conversations and information gets passed. There was at one point in time today, I was like, man, we should just have these headphones on while we're skinning these animals. Listen to all this stuff that we're talking about. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we'll hope you guys are are tracking with us. and, And by all means, if you have any 
questions on on my or our take on any gear or anything like that because there's i mean could talk about it for days yeah i'll and throw I'm it not, in there one more time too if anybody's missing a pete dunham from salsha custom knife get in touch with tyler <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah keep that in mind and and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you have yeah, want to get in contact with us or are looking for your lost hunting knife, email podcast at tundratalkak.com. Thanks for listening, guys.